Hello and welcome to My Streaming Bubble, the podcast where I talk about the shows I love with the people I tolerate. I am your tolerable summoning, summoning host, Jen, and today I've summoned Laura back to the bubble to talk about a show that has it all. Cool hand movements, heisty bits, air, water, metal, and bloodbenders, and of course, villain Ben Barnes. That's right, we've returned to the fold to talk all about Shadow and Bone Season 2. Um, and just real quick, since this is being recorded during the uh, 2023 writer's strike, I want to make it very clear that if it wasn't for the writers and the actors, we would not be here today. So thank you to the writers, Lee Bar- uh, Bardugo for the books, Eric Heiserer, and I am so <laughs> sorry I didn't practice these. <laughs> I respect your work and your craft. I'm so sorry. Uh, Vanya Asher. Nick Culbertson, Deegan Freikland, Shelley Meals, Christina Strain, M. Scott Veach, Aaron Conley, and Donna Thorland. So with all of that said, hello and welcome back, Laura. Hey, thanks for having me back. It's been a while. It's been a long while. And to be fair, we were scheduled to record this a while ago, but life. So we're Mm -hmm. here now. And I I couldn't be more excited. I've been waiting to talk about this show since it came out and I binged through it really, really fast. So <laughs> same. <laughs> and then I watched it a couple more times after that, plus the first season. And I'm realizing this is like a comfort show for me, like a re- like nice rewatch, safe-ish villain Ben Barnes. That's really all <laughs> it is. So I don't know how he'd feel if you called the the uh, Darkling, General Kieran, whatever you want to call him. Um, I don't know how he'd feel if you called him safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, because there was that, you know, he said he was looking, he was interested in doing more, something away from the villains, you mm-hmm. know, maybe a rom-com. And I know I sent you like the link or a tweet or something about that. And you were like, only if he plays like the the love or the the conflict love interest or something like the other guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry, like Ben. <laughs> I mean, you haven't been a squeaky clean good guy since I don't know Prince Caspian, unless you count that little stint in Stardust at the beginning. Um, but I wouldn't because that wasn't exactly squeaky clean. <laughs> um, I you're just too good as a, a source of conflict he is and he's he's so handsome when he when he does it too so he's so handsome when he's mad he's so <laughs> handsome when he's mad he is and i've been seeing the t-mobile commercials and i'm like oh, it's, so, it's a cutie like look at yeah. you trying to not be villainy good job t-mobile yeah i might actually be your customer i wonder why <laughs> Oh, the endorsement's working. Damn All it. right. <laughs> so this original series is only available on the one streamer, but since they want to be a bunch of cheapskate, beatskate, sus and sketchy as fuck assholes, I'm not saying their name. But unfortunately, it's the only place you can watch this series as it does not appear to be available on DVD or rentable from on-demand streamers. Because again... They're a bunch of cheapskate, beatskate, sus and sketchy as fuck assholes. Fucking pay your writers. Yeah. Yeah. With that said, we'll go ahead and move on to the spoiler warning slash 
brief synopsis. With season two, IMDb does not have a season two summary. So from season two, episode one, on the run and plagued by nightmares, Alina finds a moment of peace with Mal. Trouble awaits Kaz, Inej, and Jesper upon their return to Ketterdam. What I says about this series is it's like Full Metal Alchemist meets Avatar The Last Airbender. And this is a very big cast with a lot going on this season. So we're going to get right into it and we'll try and cover everyone and what they're up to this season. And also probably book spoilers. Thank you, Laura. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I think Laura and I have made it very clear in past episodes that we're not the greatest with character names. And I especially struggle with fantasy names and places because I don't know (laughs) the difference between the two. And I don't always get the pronunciation right. So quick shout out to closed captioning for that assist. Also, please bear with me with the little nicknames that I have for them. So real quick, the cast of characters that we have, we've got Melina and sexy villain Ben Barnes, a.k.a. Darkling. A quick shout out to the airbending wonder twins. I don't know if they're actually twins, and I think their (laughs) names are Adric and Nadia. We also get Pirate Prince Pretty Boy and the Shoe Twins. Boy twin and girl twin. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to go left and right for a second. (laughs) So those character names, I believe, are uh, Niccolo Lansov, Tolia, and Tamar. Tola is the boy twin and Tamar is the girl twin. Then we have Jenya and David and snarky airbender Zoya. And then the crows, Kaz, Inej, Wesper. Nina and her Fight Club Fjordan, Matthias versus Pekka Rollins, which is actually a pretty badass fucking name. So I, I, I actually was like, damn, that's I like that name. That's cool. All right. With all of that said and done, Laura, what were your general thoughts of this season? Um, always happy to watch more TV with Ben Barnes in it. Um, and that has caused me to branch out into some rather interesting material that is normally not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but at first, you know, I entered into this season with a ton of excitement and hope because even though, as we mentioned in the first season recording, they m- mashed the storylines of a couple of um, different plots, different book series together, mm-hmm. uh, it was really working for me for the mm-hmm. most part. And they made some positive changes to the relationship dynamic of some characters that I really agreed with. Unfortunately, in some respects, I feel like the season took a big step backwards in that. Really? Just with like the changes from page to screen or just kind of in general uh, speaking generally for like a second season? Um... A bit of both. Um, the, the stuff from page to screen is actually more subtle stuff okay. than like big events necessarily. Okay. Um, with with a, a notable exception that we will definitely get to. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I left the season objectively, you know, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. The spectacle was good, but disappointed and largely unsure of, of what's happening now. Oh, interesting. All right. 
What about you? So I liked this season, but I didn't love it. I, in, and I've rewatched this season a handful of times, a um, couple of times as background and whatnot, because uh, yeah, I find this show very comforting for some reason. But aside from the pod prep, the last time I rewatched this season, I started at episode four and it's only like eight episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I felt like the kind of the first half was, eh, I understand, you know, it's setting up the the players and the pieces and getting them to where they need to be and everything. But I feel like, I mean, episode four, I feel like is where everything really takes off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so like the last half of the season, I'm all for, but at the same time, as I said, this is an ensemble cast and there are a lot of characters and there was a lot going on this season to the point where I'm like, fuck, I don't know how we're going to tackle all of this. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I, but I enjoyed it, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't love it. And I felt like maybe some storylines could have been held back a little bit. It just, it felt, it just, just too much kind of packed into eight episodes. I think this season, if they wanted to tell all of these storylines, maybe could have gone 10 or 12 episodes so the pacing felt a little better. You can mm-hmm. dive a bit more into some of these relationships. Cause I know one relationship that we talked about was Kaz and Inej. And, and in season one, I didn't pick up on the fact that they had googly eyes for each other um, on, on rewatches. I see it now, but it would have been nice to get a little deeper into why they kind of fancy each other. You know what I mean? Like what their what their connection is like from the books, because we don't see whatever that is in the show. I am so glad that you bring that up. Because <laughs> so welcome. <laughs> if we're, I, I feel like we need to talk about this separately, and not just because they're they're separate um, book series, but the first season had a lot going on with the ensemble cast as well, with the, mm-hmm. the various plots that technically took place in separate stories that were you know a couple of years apart Mm -hmm. Uh, but it did so in a way that didn't take away from getting to know these characters and love these characters Mm -hmm. and you know you start cheering for these characters yeah and yes i agree that some setup was needed as a result in the second season for things to progress further and i will forgive a show for that i mean obviously i will i watched game of thrones didn't i (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, so funny you mentioned that because I recorded with Eric the other weekend and he was dragging Game of Thrones too. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sad that that ended up being its ultimate fate in pop culture. Oh, but yeah, when you jump the shark, you jump the shark. Yep. Um, <laughs> or in this case, the dragon. Whatever yeah. the case may be. But so I think in order to tackle everything in the fourth season, kind of got to separate it back out into those two book series. What happened with the Six of Crows that you liked and didn't like? And then what happened with uh, the Grisha that you liked and didn't like? Um, and since you bring up Kaz and Inej, that was the thing. Like, if I was playing a video game and what happened in their storyline happened, I would have, like, chucked the controller and stormed <laughs> off. Classic, classic rage quit uh-huh yeah um 
And, you know, thankfully for the sake of doing this podcast, that moment didn't happen until the end of the series or the season. So I got to see everything else that led up to it. But this is the most subtle thing. So in the books, you learn a lot more about what happened to Inej, Mm -hmm. where she came from, how she ended up where she was at, what kind of trauma she was put through, um, and why she's become the person that she is. And why she's so driven to rescue others who have been in a similar plight. Mm -hmm. And you do get to see pieces of that in the show because, you know, she makes a mid-mission decision Mm -hmm. to do that. That kind of jeopardizes things. But with Kaz, you got to see a lot of what happened to him because Mm -hmm. of the plot line unfolding with Pekka Rollins. So you, you get to see, and unfortunately, you're only really seeing it in flashes. So I feel like you miss some of the cumulative impact of his history Mm -hmm. but in case it wasn't clear he became averse to human touch to the point where he you know is typically fully dressed but always wears those gloves Mm -hmm. the gloves are the big thing Mm -hmm. because you know there was a plague that ravaged that city and it eventually took his brother and right like at the worst moment of their lives after they'd just been swindled by Pekka right Mm -hmm. and um he had been like out of consciousness enough that he was just assumed to be dead too and they got like put on that barge of bodies to go out to the island where they stash all the stuff they don't want and burn it um and he was just he was just surrounded by those bloated sickly corpses including his brothers that only just like got progressively worse as the time went on mm-hmm. he didn't know how he was going to get out of there but every pressing in on him from every side was was that and whenever anyone touches him or he has to touch someone else he remembers that and it's so traumatic for him that he cannot bear human touch and i thought on uh, Kaz's side of things leading up to the season finale they portrayed that really well like where he kind of passed out in the prison truck mm-hmm. um, and the little things like that that matched up beautifully mm-hmm. the thing is Inej has a similar aversion not to the point where she feels like she needs to wear gloves all the time and as much clothing as possible and like will pass out from it but she has been traumatized by human touch nonetheless. Mm-hmm. You know, being sold into sex slavery pretty much. Mm-hmm. She has a more complicated relationship with human touch because she both wants it, but beyond doesn't. that, also doesn't want it. Mm-hmm. Whereas Kaz, because he loves her so much, wants to want it, mm-hmm. but just can't bring himself to now in, in Inej's case her not wanting that kind of contact uh, is the stronger of the two emotions so what was beautiful about their relationship in the books is that yes they were friends yes they were colleagues they had a perfect synchronized professional relationship all that was played out beautifully. When it came to the romantic interest, it ultimately played out in 
like lovers who will never touch each other mm-hmm. and accept and welcome that type of relationship. They are happy to be the loves in each other's lives without the physical contact. Whereas in the series, it became the ultimatum of whether or not they were going to have a relationship. And to me, it completely cheapened it for the sake of TV drama. Because Mm -hmm. I have, as far as the books go, um, the author does an amazing job of portraying atypical relationships, why they exist, how they develop, and why, and making them feel okay. Mm-hmm. Like you fully accept it, you are happy for them when you read the books. In the TV show, there's none of that acceptance, and mm-hmm. I feel like they took away from the characters, they took away from that celebration of atypical relationships because life sucks sometimes Mm -hmm. and yeah i i would have like rage quit right right there when it was already the end of the (laughs) series so good for that (laughs) yeah like i said i wish that at least in this season we got a little bit more backstory a little bit more context to all of that to their complicated touch no touch kind of relationship because in the show you do get the sense that you know Inej has seen some shit, has been through some shit, right? But she does not come across as troubled as, or like plagued by it, I suppose. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, Kaz. (laughs) Sorry, Kaz. Um, (laughs) That was totally unintentional. (laughs) It just comes so naturally to me. Um, You know, and maybe that's because this season was more focused on, on Kaz and the backstory with Pekka and his and his brother and everything. So we focused more on his trauma and less on Inej's. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I don't know, maybe in season three, we can dive a little bit more now that they, you know, with the way season two ended, they've, they've gone their separate ways. I mm-hmm. do kind of like that Kaz seemed to understand where Inej was coming from, where she's like, all of you or none of you. And he kind of acknowledging that he has some bullshit he needs to figure out. He respects that. So I I liked that. But at the same time, I was like, no. (laughs) Happily ever after. God damn it. (laughs) Yeah. I really hope that they somehow manage to recover that storyline in a way that is respectful to the characters. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, yeah, they did not portray the conflicting feelings that Inej has around the same subject. Is she as traumatized as Kaz? No, probably not. Mm -hmm. But that does not mean that she isn't significantly traumatized. Right. Um, The other things for me with the Crows crew is just the heist in general that they did and therefore how things play out with Pekka Rollins um, diverges from the books. Really? The heist that they are set up to do in season three is the heist that they did in the books. Assuming Matthias actually lives. Um, in season three? You mean season two? No. The heist that they're setting up for for season three. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Is what actually took place in the books. Yes. This whole different heist um, was a divergence. 
Okay. There were elements of it that they maintained from the books, like, you know, them holing up in the graveyard uh, mm-hmm. kind of stuff. That that happened. But the target of their heist was not the same. Okay. Um, Still appreciate a good heist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love, okay, as far as atypical relationships go, I love the Nina and Matthias dynamic so very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing how that ends for them in the books it's got me intrigued and again concerned Mm -hmm. um that there may have been too much divergence here that maybe the the culmination of their relationship will still happen but it won't feel the same because of how things have played out so i'm feeling a little cautiousness there as well and i am not spoiling this so I'm speaking vaguely on purpose. Sorry, listeners. Uh, but I just, I cannot spoil this one for you. Okay. Um, oh my God. I think considering where the show left off at, it's important that I don't. And for those that have read the books, well, they will understand. <laughs> um, but Nina and Matthias are just so goddamn adorable. I know. And they're, they're you know cultural culturally defined hatred for each other that they just keep trying to uphold when they both know they don't want to deep down mm-hmm. it's just so and they're they're just they're like so afraid to touch each other but not for tra- traumatic reasons and it's just it's so darn cute it and really i think that's why i liked it in the books too because it showed the different dynamics of being afraid to touch each other across mm-hmm. those characters, but for very different reasons and with very different conclusions, um, you know, between the characters and their thoughts and their feelings within themselves as well as with each other. So I just liked that dynamic and I I hope they haven't ruined it with what they did with Kaz and Nanesh. Mm. <laughs> but I was like, that was one of my happy points for the season. Was like, yay, extra heists! <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know you love a good heist, and because of that, and knowing you and our friendship, I have come to appreciate good heisty bits. So when that when the heisty bit started in in season two, I was like, ooh, Laura's gonna love this, and it was still fun. Mm-hmm. Very fun. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Um. You know, they still wrote that and executed that extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, it made for enjoyable TV, without a doubt. Absolutely. And watching uh, Wylan and Jesper. Oh my god! <laughs> and you got to see you got to see Jesper reckoning with some of his past too, which was nice because I wasn't sure if they were going to include that or not. Because, mm-hmm. like you said, there was just so much going on, yeah. and. And like I've said, the dynamic between Kaz and Inej and to some extent between Matthias and Nina is supposed to be so heavy and like culturally important too. Mm-hmm. Like I could see them, you know, minimizing other relationships there a bit. Sure. And I'm glad that they didn't. Because mm-hmm. one, uh, Jesper and Wylan are hands down the most adorable Six of Crows couple. Oh my god, 100%. I love like, them so much. We just went on a scale of least adorable to most adorable. <laughs> but yep. you're cheering for them all the same. <laughs> yep. Um, They are so cute. Like, I love Jesper's twitchy ADHD-ness and, you know, <laughs> coming to accept who he is fully mm-hmm. and 
you know, not just in the aspects of relationship either. And then Wyland being going from being too embarrassed to be himself to like totally uh, accepting of who that is. And I don't think, if I recall correctly, they've divulged everything about who Wyland is. So there's going to be more there too. And I don't want to spoil that either. Okay. So they they gave Jesper his due, but they left Wyland a little mysterious. So I think that's going to, on a positive note, lead to some additional growth for Jesper and Wyland as people and then, you know, together. And I just, I love them so much. I really do. So I'm glad they didn't spoil everything in their rush to include everything in season two for some reason. Sure. They they didn't need to do that, especially in that number of episodes, and especially if half of the season was set up. Yeah, so with Nina and Matthias, absolutely love them. I was so heartbroken for them when the season ended that they still don't get like their happily ever after. And I'm sorry I keep using that phrase. I'm rewatching Once Upon a Time. Deal with it. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm dealing. I'm dealing. <laughs> And at the end of the season, when Nina goes to Hellgate or whatever, and she's got like the the thing to free him, and then she drops it. I'm just like, God, do you not have pockets? Probably not. I mean, it's women's clothing. Yeah, we barely have pockets now. So I was I, I like that was almost a rage quit moment for me. I was like, no, that no, was one of mine. So hard. And yeah, Matthias and kind of that torn of like his religion and and not wanting to feel anything for for Nina because because like earlier in the season she she goes there and they see each other but Matthias walks away like he's mm-hmm. like kind of done with her or whatever but then through all of that and then in that last episode then he's screaming for her and she's screaming for him and he doesn't have a shirt and that's really hot and. <laughs> yeah <laughs> they is. cast him well that's all i'm gonna say he's um, a good looking dude <laughs> i must you I, know i'm a sucker for a character with no shirt i will especially when they look like that but like nina is a really fun character and i, I am, love her i am glad that it isn't just her pining about matthias like mm-hmm. she is just as badass as she was supposed to be and then you remember through the conversations with the grisha that she's just starting out in this shit and look what she's doing and look what mm-hmm. she's gotten herself into. Like, woman, you got to get your life together a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but she's so strong-willed and mm-hmm. stubborn. You know, she leads herself into these problems, but it's it's great because like, I love her character for who she is. Now, characters, relationships aside, though, uh, while the heist was different, like I said, I still enjoyed it. And it still had the overarching plot line that the Six of Crows books had, and that was taken down Pekka Rollins. And for the most part, how that was executed was pretty pretty on par with the books, considering the changes that were made in the show. Okay. The problem I have right now is Pekka Rollins' downfall is where the Six of Crows leaves off oh him having a resurgence at the end of season two in some way shape or form because he took over the prison or whatever Mm -hmm. i could totally see that as a plot continuation point 
but it's terrible to be now because they don't get to enjoy their success. Yeah. Um, but oh, did I love watching the downfall anyway? Like how Kaz like walks into a place and just takes over the gang. That was awesome. Yes. I was yes. waiting I was waiting for the cripple beat down and I got the cripple beat down. <laughs> um the joys of being friends with someone with disabilities. You get to hear them say things like cripple beat down, even though I probably shouldn't say it. Thank you. <laughs> you are welcome, but it's what it was. I like, mean, yeah. I love how nobody took this guy seriously because he's skinny, he's limping, he mm. needs to use a cane, he's mm-hmm. young. You know, everyone's established and blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, well, watch this. Just decimates them all. Beautiful. And now without taking, you know, a fair amount of hits and everything, and he definitely did in the books as well. It wasn't like he was some mega ninja or whatever. But (laughs) he is one crafty, resourceful, uh, just no mercy kind of guy. And he is willing to take the hits. Like, Like, watching him fight is like watching a good chess match. He is yes. willing to take some hits to set himself up for victory in the end. And, you know, this uh, this season did have some really good fight sequences. I thought I think the I think the choreography for the fight scenes are, are done very well and they're filmed very well and very engaging and fun to watch. And, yeah, it was really exciting to watch Kaz kick some ass and, you know, get his ass kicked a little bit too but mm-hmm. you know swing in the cane and I like he has the one line and I can't remember I think he says it to Inej I'm not sure but you know like something about like the the cane and the limp and not knowing which one is real and so yeah. I love that because that I love that little bit of mystery around Kaz real quick back to Nina one of my favorite things about her character in the in the show is that she's almost always eating or talking about food, you know, because yes. she's got like the waffles. She's eating uh boy tw- boy shoe twins figs. Um, they're following the uh shoe saint, and she's got a big old like meat on a stick skewer thing, and she's going to town <laughs> on it. And I was like, hell yes, yes, let's see more characters eating delicious foods because damn that shit looked pretty fucking good. So I yeah. always I appreciate that as well that you know she's not only strong and confident and badass cuz I love that scene too when they're kind of in that diner and Kaz is trying to plan the heist and like trying to know when people are in the office and yada 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 and she just comes back and she's like well they're right up there at these times I asked the waitress cuz they hear things <laughs> I loved that and That's social engineering right there Yeah <laughs> It was beautiful. And it's like, yes, you are, you fit in very well with this little ragtag group of baddies. Yeah. Um, loved watching the downfall of Pekka Rollins. Um, and I believe that is everything that I believe that all comes to a head in episode four, which is part of the reason why that episode is so much fun and so great to watch as you see all those chess pieces kind of fall into place. I was a little surprised that you know, they, they take down Pekka Rollins halfway through the season. And then yes, he has that, like he establishes himself as the big bad uh, in hell's gate or whatever as a way of like self-preservation. And I'm just kind of like, damn it. Yeah. See, I don't like that. The implication at the end of six of crows books is that, you know, 
he knows when to quit and it's time to quit. And it, that doesn't mean to say that this isn't plausible, that he could plot some sort of comeback or whatever. I just really didn't like it because mm-hmm. it, it took away from their victory. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess if they were going to set up another the, the heist that they were supposed to have, they, they got to preserve him somehow. So I'm not entirely certain how it's going to play out hmm. now because the mechanism for Pekka's downfall has been used. Yeah. So I don't know what happens now. Hmm. Um, and that's, I'm fine with that. I just, yeah. I just feel like that choice was unnecessary. Yeah. Like they could have delayed his takedown Absolutely. to another season and made it so that they had to do a series of heists to do it or something oh. like that. Right. Yeah. Or but, even, or even just like they take, you know, his his takedown happens in like episode six or something. Yeah, you know, a little something. later in this season. You know, I understand making that like your secondary finale, mm-hmm. um, for the purposes of what happens on the Grisha side of the universe, because that, again, <laughs> that is the culmination of of the actual Shadow and Bone series of books the grisha verse books is mm-hmm. what they're known as and you know there's another um couple of books after this that kind of follows nikolai and all that i admittedly mm-hmm. haven't read those yet because okay. i didn't want to because i wanted to see how this all played out before i got myself invested in another storyline so yeah i decided to delay that a bit but again even on the Grishaverse side of things, I found myself both enjoying the show and significantly disappointed by it. Mm-hmm. But I would like to hear your thoughts on it first. All right. Well, I need to just touch on Wesper real quick because, yes, they are adorable. I love Jesper so fucking much. He is he is the the comic relief. He's, you know, so he, he gets all the good funny lines. There's like in the last episode where he's like trying to name them, you know, like the six of crows, but like, yeah. and he's, you know, kind of like for, doing having like a little fourth wall moment and then he gets cut off and <laughs> it cuts to the next scene. Like, it seems like anytime Jesper's on screen, it's, it's fun with the exception of his poison dream and, and his mom, but it was nice. It was very lovely to see him make peace with that. And for us to get a little bit of that background as to why he was so ashamed of being a durest, uh, a metal bender. Um, <laughs> yes, metal, metal bender. Yes. So to see him kind of come into that and have like the uh, shoe saint Oval kind of pull him aside and was like, well, you're a metal bender and you didn't utilize anything you could have. You could have taken me down a myriad of ways and you didn't so get good <laughs> which I, I loved that so but it's like up until then you know you don't know what happened why he's so like ashamed and doesn't want to admit it and in a sense come out of that closet so it was really nice that we got that closure he's made peace and like I don't I feel like they did they spent the right amount of time on that and not kind of drag that out too much Mm -hmm, i agree Um, so it was it was just very sweet like out of all of them he gets to have the nice poison hallucination and and get closure in that sense everyone else kind of has a shit poison dream uh they never really touch on 
uh, boy twin, uh, boy twin, and his dream where his sister is is dying and she's like, you did this. Because like, he seems unbothered (laughs) by any of that. Whereas Kaz is kind of freaking out, you know, because he can't admit what his hallucination was. Right. Inej doesn't really seem like it, it Inej almost seems like, well, if Kaz admits, then I'll admit. But Kaz has to go first kind of thing. Yeah, I was annoyed by hers. You know, I thought Kaz's was good because mm-hmm. it helped explain some things. And But I was annoyed by hers. Uh, of course, they had to inject that romantic tension somewhere. Um, but you're right. Jesper's was almost it was heartbreakingly heartwarming (laughs) it's weird um but you brought up a good point with the shoe saint um which is now what i'm gonna call her forever Um, (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) because like they got to witness the relationship dynamic dynamic between someone who is that powerful with magic and that open to using it that it really does extend their life and to a degree their youth for an indefinite amount of time and what that looks like when you fall in love with someone who doesn't have that ability that luxury whatever and you know how that relationship plays out is sad but it's also beautiful in a way because she never wavers in her love and support for this person Mm -hmm. and it was a really good backdrop to kind of tie it to the the Grishaverse side of the story because yep. that is a source of conflict for Alina. Yes, absolutely. So, so yeah, I just had to touch on Jesper and Wylan. And Wylan is absolutely adorable. He is. Oh, he's just my like favorite. The cutest. <laughs> he's the cutest little chemist, and I love like in that kind of final battle when they show up, and Wylan throws the thing. He gets the air assist. <laughs> And Jesper's in the background. He's like, my man. He's like, wait, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to label us. (laughs) (laughs) But I also kind of love how the Six of Crows people are like just so representative of different, you know, marginalized groups, both within within the story. But generally speaking, Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got uh, cognitive disabilities and you've got physical disabilities. You've got. Uh, socioeconomical problems you've got different races different ethnicities different religions all causing problems and skewed perceptions and they're somehow making it all work anyway Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah it's just there's just so much going on there and and of course you got your your like uh lgbtq going on and all that stuff too like there's just so much yeah i I love i love it I, I yeah I love it too and I I I'm, I look forward to see more Wesper. I don't want any conflict between the two of those in any upcoming seasons. They need to be happily ever after. Sorry, forever. <laughs> I I will accept nothing less. I also enjoy you know when they find out like the the Crows Club is gone. It's you know under Pekka Rollins' property or whatever. And Jesper's like my hats. And all of his hats, his lovely, wonderful hats. I love a man that knows how to accessorize. So with that said, we'll, uh, I think we're kind of good on the crows. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty much, yeah, pretty much all I've got. So on to the Grishaverse. And where would you like to start? 
who do you need to uh, vent about first? Because it seems like this is a vent sesh. It, it is a bit. So I would actually like to start with your thoughts on it. Oh, all right. So when I was the first time watching going through them, I was uh, I was just so happy for Mal and Alina. I'm not thinking that everything is too perfect for them. Right. I'm thinking mm-hmm. like, I'm so glad they're together. This is great. Nothing's going to tear them apart. Did not see what was going to happen with the third amplifier. When we did our season one discussion, you know, you did say that there were more amplifiers and you weren't going to give anything away because it was kind of a big deal. And so when it was the revealed, not just what, but who the third amplifier was, I was like, no, <laughs> so mad. and then I was mad at myself for not seeing it coming. I'm like, I watch enough TV to know that they were way too happy in the beginning for that to continue all the way through. And then on this last rewatch, and watching Alina and her quest for more power, more power, more power. I'm like, you are walking that lot. Like, like the Darkling is is kind of right in the sense that like they need a monster to hate. And without him, they're going to come for her, especially with this. She's as powerful as she is now. And obviously in the in the finale, we see that she's using, you know, she's got like the dark smoky hands and she used the cut and everything. So watching it like this second, third, fourth time, I I'm I was really getting kind of annoyed with Alina, where I'm just like, you need like she's so hyper focused. And not that that's a bad thing, but it it almost was, you know, in that she's got the blinders on. So she's blinded and all she's all she wants is like her her intentions are admirable. She wants to take down the fold and rebuild Ravka and harmony and peace and yada, yada. Humans suck. So that's never going to happen. I'm sorry, but it just, it was really the second, you know, these other times around, it was really kind of bothersome, upsetting to see her kind of unknowingly go down this path. You know what I mean? Oh, I do. And then I do. And then Mal, oh my God, I love him so much. I love Mal so much. So I also, I have a real problem. I realized with a show that makes you mourn a character that doesn't stay dead. Okay. Cause it's like, I went through the mourning period with Mal cause you know, he, he gets hit and everything. And, and Alina, she does what she has to do. Cause he, cause Mal is the third amplifier. He is the firebird. So she has to run the blade through him and, and clears the fold and woohoo. But at the same time, I was so heartbroken. I was so sad that we lost Mal. And then we don't lose Mal. And Nina doesn't seem okay with that, which I actually kind of loved. Because Nina being the heart render was trying to bring him back and wasn't able to. She knew what was up. She knew what was up. So as, as happy as I was to have Mal back, I was also, I'm also just like, stop making me mourn characters that don't stay dead. But what then, is dead? It should stay dead. What is dead may never die, though. <laughs> uh, but 
then weren't you like, oh, well, then it's a double slap in the face, like turn the other cheek, get slapped in it too kind of thing. Because then they're like, oh, well, we don't know if we actually love each other or if it was the amplifier relationship. <gasps> I'm just like, I fucking... <laughs> 100%. And I understand, like, I totally get where Miles coming from and that conflict and not I knowing do who he is. Too. And I, I felt so... I mean, my heart broke for him again. I'm excited yes. for him and his adventures as Pretty Boy Pirate now, but in the moment, I was like, no. Do you know what it made me think of? What? It made me think of the Princess Bride, how the Dread Pirate Roberts mm-hmm. becomes the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yep. I'm just like, they're ripping that off. Okay, but I'm really glad <laughs> that we were able to get your perspective first because it's objective to the tv show and you still came to a similar conclusion to the one that i have excellent but first i was also a little confused by this plot line i accepted given how things had gone previously that there may be some differences sure and you know we got to see creepy priest a little bit in season one and then we see i was like where the fuck is he because he's kind of important okay um but since the show decided not to divulge why, I will not either. But he showed up again, just at the end, and I'm like, oh man, I was actually kind of hoping after all this we wouldn't deal with him. <laughs> like at first, I'm like, where is he? And by the end of the show, I was like, oh, oh great, this guy. So, <laughs> again, I have an idea of where they're going with him, mm-hmm. but because of what they've done with Alina's story, I don't understand how it's going to play out. Interesting. Because it should have played out before now. Oh, okay. And here's why. Yay. So, Alina and Mal slowly coming to the realization that he is the third amplifier played out mm-hmm. pretty well, considering okay. the changes. I do think, since they chose to include some scenes, like, you know, when... Alina and Mal finally succumb to their feelings for each other, that they missed out on showing the dynamic that is caused by him being the third amplifier. Like, there were subtle moments throughout the books that kind of breadcrumbed it for you, but it was subtle enough that you missed it, especially since in the books, they actually do go and find the Firebird. Oh. They don't kill it because they okay. realize in having a non-violent confrontation with it that they've been chasing the most figurative and literal red herring that a book like book series like this could have had (laughs) a big giant red flaming bird (laughs) 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 um so it's kind of disappointed that they didn't have that realization because like some of Alina and Mao's frustrations and, and desperation and stress and everything really comes out during that uh, wild goose chase. Which kind of still works. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they do eventually re- reveal or, or realize that he is the third amplifier. But because of some of the choices that they made, I also think it took away from the dynamic and the absolute pull that Alina and Kirigan have for each other. Mm-hmm. like Because he's an amplifier too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So you have that dynamic. But also, he does understand what it's like to live a ridiculously long life and potentially love and care for people 
only to watch them die, especially mm-hmm. in the context of the show, because mm-hmm. they played on that emotional angle more than they did in the books for him. And they had their interactions, you know, inside each other's heads and everything. And there was that power play, which there always was. But it was more, it was more subtle in the books. It was more something like, like something that creeps slowly, you know, like if you were to liken it to disease imagery or, or medical imagery or whatever, it's like poison. It's like something that seeps slowly through the veins and like gets to the heart of you, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's like that subversive kind of stuff and watching that power struggle play out in the books was really interesting especially since like there are moments where alina really wants to like give into that because she feels she does have feelings for him despite Mm -hmm. everything are they all good are they all right no but you know she and she ends up using them to manipulate him which was just super cool to see play out but you know that also wounds mal because it looks like they're about to yeah you know choose each other and you know so you have to deal with well my feelings are hurt (laughs) (laughs) um which happens a lot in the books between those two honestly it's like will you just stop it (laughs) (laughs) but i wanted more of that subversive power dynamic back and forth between them and you did get some of it i just don't think it was done as well as it could have been yeah um but when all was said and done and that final scene in the fold played out that was my rage quit moment for them so much because yes alina is still very single-minded when it comes to finding those amplifiers Mm -hmm. and yes she does admit at times in the books that the power surges that she feels are a little intoxicating at times Mm -hmm. and you know when she isn't feeling that powerful she feels she's going through the mental health crisis of feeling weak and useless and not having enough time to train to study Mm -hmm. to gain enough power to take care of this the proper way the amplifiers are the shortcut Mm -hmm. and as our our pop culture loves to teach us shortcuts always have costs Mm -hmm. um and for her it was a huge cost. So, in the books, she does, after exhausting all other options, determine that she has to kill Mal. Mm. And he determines that he has to let her do it. He has to convince her to do it. And she does kill him. <gasps> and she does obtain his power long enough to dispel the fold and all of Kirigan's monsters. But in so doing, she releases all of the power that she and the amplifiers had. Uh-huh. And everyone else who is in the fold, who is not already a Grisha, but everyone else who's in there or immediately around the area, gets a piece of that power. And now, instead of there being one sun summoner, <gasps> there are many sun summoners. Oh, no way! And they go on to be Grisha. And, you know, they have their part to play in trying to repair the kingdom of Ravka and all that comes with it, which is what's supposed to be, like, the what the Nikolai series is about, which I haven't read yet. Um, but it's the ultimate sacrifice because she loses all her power. She can never 
use magic again. Now, in the course of, of obtaining the power that she obtains, she does use Merzost in the books. And it okay. does it does have a notable change to her appearance because when she uses it, she uses it for a good reason, despite the danger and all the warnings. And her hair turns like white. Really? Mm-hmm. So like I'm not saying she doesn't use it. She does. But it's not like how they portrayed it in the show. Mal's life is saved not not by her. Really? And he is saved because someone with heartrending abilities is able to act quick enough. <gasps> but the confrontation between her and Kirigan was this close to going completely wrong. She, There's no way she could have been able to save Mal. So she had to rely on others. She had to make the choice to kill Mal, destroy the fold, regardless of what happened to her, in the hopes that those with her would be able to save him. And since this is is no longer the possibility in the book, I don't or in the in the show, I don't mind spoiling this. But her and Mal, when all is said and done, realize that despite everything, they're still each other's person. And that is how they end things. And you know, they do good in their little local community. And one of my favorite scenes from the book will never happen in the show because of this. Like, <laughs> when all is said and done, they get visited by, you know, the little band of Grisha that ended up helping out. So David, uh, Genya, oh, Genya, um, yeah, all them. The Wonder Twins. Uh, not them, <laughs> but I, I'm the Ravkin Grisha anyway. Okay. And they come and they they tell her, you know, how it's going, rebuilding the Grisha training school, academy, all that stuff. And, you know, how it's going with sun summoners that exist now and everything. And, you know, she's listening to this and she's feeling a mix of happiness and sadness because she's no longer a part of that world. And she kind Mm -hmm. of expresses that a little bit. And they give her Grisha clothing fitting of a sun, a sun summoner and they tell her that she is always one of them you know she sacrificed every bit of magic she had so she can have a normal lifespan with mm-hmm. her mal so that's her happy twist on it but really she did it to save the world mm-hmm. um but she'll never be able to have that again and that's you know from the way that they describe what being a Grisha is like, that's like amputating a significant portion of yourself. Like you're never whole again. Right. And I just thought like, that's a saint level sacrifice. Yeah. She might not have died, but that's a saint level sacrifice. The other thing that I liked about that dynamic more in the books was the whole thing about Kirigan's first name being Alexander. Mm -hmm. He doesn't reveal that to her until very, very late story-wise yeah i think you mentioned that when we did season one and she does use it when she does his funeral pyre Mm -hmm. but the funeral pyre is a much more um witnessed event than it was um and you know most people are like gut riddance kind of thing but she's like legit mourning and you know refers to him as alexander when she says goodbye to him Mm -hmm. um 
So that was a little bit different, but I'm glad that they still kind of kept that. Mm-hmm. But the show's divergence for some of the other Grisha, like, I was not happy about David and Jenya. Oh, yeah. My heart broke a million times for Jenya this season. Like, she's, she, because it was so heartbreaking and tragic and, you know, I'm a sucker for that kind of shit. I think hers was like one of my favorite kind of side plots uh, mm-hmm. to this season. Yeah, with uh, Alina and and Kerrigan's kind of relationship. And again, with Alina just being so hyper-focused and her, you know, and Alexander's like, now, you know, you'll, now, you know, sacrifice. And she's like, like, you'll never know. It's like, bitch, he's been alive for like hundreds of years, maybe thousands. He knows. Do Do not compare yourself in losing Mal to every, to thousands of years of loss. Like it was okay. So was that was that annoying. was like the way that you referred to that made me think of Aslan from Narnia. Do not quote the deep magic to me. I was there when it was written. Like that's what it felt like. Okay. Um, but here's the thing, because in the books, her story ends there, as far as her being Grisha and being involved that way. Mm-hmm. Everything that happened after that in the show, I'm like, what the fuck? Like seriously. Mm-hmm. She used Mirzas to bring mm-hmm. him back. It made her evil. She's doing evil things now. She's more concerned about power than than anything mm-hmm. else. This is not the Saint Alina. This mm-hmm. is this is this is a divergence from her character that I don't know if she had ever possibly come back from. Yeah. And Creepy Priest is gonna have his part to play in all this. Mm-hmm. Um, but not in the way I expected. So I really don't know. But when she was like continuing with Nikolai and then like using the cut mm-hmm. and, and I'm just like this is this is not good mm-hmm. are they turning her into a villain is is Mal gonna have to come save her like and I'm just oh. like Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know on the one Let's hand hope not. it's kind of fun that she still has magic yeah and I'm curious to see how they're gonna have her use it because what is she mega powerful now? That was the key. You have to use Mirzas to become mega powerful. Mm-hmm. No, she just needed time and training that she wasn't afforded. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, Bagra meeting her end. I mean, she was kind of sacrificed at her son's hands, which it was in line with the books. She doesn't fully figure out though that. Mal is who he is like she did in the show um yeah because in the show you almost get that sense that like she kind of always like she's picking up on the pieces and then bam she figures it out you know like she's it just kind of feels like Bagra knew or had a very strong feeling about it and and then all of a sudden it's like oh you're yeah, related. and that Welcome was to the family. That was one of the clumsiest parts of of the show, because it really kind of was. She figures it out to some degree right before she dies, because she's she's had more time to like hear Mal speak, mm-hmm. and the way that he speaks jogs her memory back to her sister and her childhood and everything. 
And then she's like, wait, that voice. I, I know that. What is that? Mm-hmm. And she's just putting the pieces together when her, you know, when Alexander's just like, bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> No one gets the benefit of knowing that she was figuring that out, but you do still get to hear her story mm-hmm. play out in in the discoveries in the books. So nothing about her in terms of who her father was or what happened with her sister or anything was a surprise, mm-hmm. but how they chose to use that was very different. And I think it was clumsy. Yeah, I think that it was... I mean, on one hand, it's it's kind of a fun reveal, right? You're just like, oh my god, um, but yeah, the whole scene of of going back to you know her father's, I, whatever layer, <laughs> um, workshop, workshop. I think it was. Yeah, and then it's like, so they get in there, and then Bagra tells Mal like, come with me over into this other area, right, where she's putting it all together and then she takes him outside to do the whole like blood lock <laughs> you know open and close the door you know because yeah. only people of the bloodline can do that and I was like is there another entrance where they did not have to go past <laughs> Alina <laughs> yeah I was like what I don't understand how this thing is laid out <laughs> I was like is it- what the fuck so even in set design it was just super clumsy mm-hmm. like and I'm and glad the- that we got to find that stuff out because yeah. it's important to do so. But ugh. It just and then it just kind of felt like all of a sudden she just blurts it out. Yeah. Right? Like she's you see her kind of collecting the pieces. You see her kind of putting it all together and realizing it's this, you know, following her hunches or whatever that Mal is uh, a a descendant. And then just and then yeah, just blurts it out. She's like, You're my nephew. I mean, not exactly, but it felt like it, it felt like there was a buildup and then it was anticlimactic the way she says it. Yeah. It's like Looney Tunes dropping an anvil down or something. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Thanks. (laughs) Yep. And then when she dies and, you know, and Alexander's there, I, I kind of love that very complicated relationship that they clearly had. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because he is sad. He he mourns her and he's like, I, you know, and he like apologizes at one point, something like it never meant for all of this to happen. But then at the same time, since she cut off his hand that had the um bit of antler amplifier that was in the show, keeping him connected to Alina. And then the other guy's like crafts him a hand with a little bit of her bone and everything to continue to amplify Kirigan. Yeah, I hate all that too. I really, you know, he was like, well, she would always drag me around by my wrist. So now she can do it forever. And I'm like, so are you sad or are you mad? Like, (laughs) are you happy? And like I said, I get that their, their relationship was to put it mildly complicated, but I'm just Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. Just those two moments with the darkling around about his mom just felt, it just didn't feel smooth. It didn't feel, I don't know. It didn't sit right exactly and they have that complicated relationship in the books absolutely because baggers reached a point in her life where she realizes she made a terrible mistake and it Mm -hmm. is far 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 too late to fix it Mm -hmm. she raised him to be the monster that he is Mm -hmm. because she was a different person then and 
she knows that she's eventually going to pay the price for it. It might be her life. It might be more than that. But she also accepts that she deserves whatever fate she's given because of her involvement in enabling this. Mm-hmm. So they definitely have that complicated relationship. But the whole thing with the piece of a, the bone from the stag in his hand, that was made up for the show. The whole making her an amplifier to make up for the loss of that, that was made up for the show. Mm-hmm. And that's why it felt so disjointed. Gotcha. Because I think when they were sticking to the dynamics of the source material, the complicatedness of their relationship and their feelings towards each other and themselves played out really well but when they started trying to drive the plot forward with made up stuff it lost some of that that depth to it Mm -hmm. and i think you could say the same thing for like the last seasons of game of thrones Mm -hmm. they they lost the depth from the source material and it shows and i was really disappointed by all that and they Mm -hmm. tried they tried really hard to keep it there but they just didn't quite do it justice and you know again uh just disappointing um and then Mm -hmm. what happened with jenya again (laughs) ugly cry for jenya um it's again accounting for the changes that they made it's pretty true to the source material unfortunately unfortunately for her but it also is a driver for some of the best character growth i've seen in a person Mm -hmm. um in a while and i'm glad that we didn't lose that Mm -hmm. but David's self-sacrifice, I was just, that's another rage quitter for me. Okay. Yes, absolutely. But then it's like, you know, we know better than to trust off-screen deaths. Right. Because we didn't see the body. Exactly. So I am still hopeful that he's still around because uh, I, like, on on the Grisha side of things, I love those two. Yes. I love those two so much especially um, yeah and especially with this season you see them because like we've we we see Jenya and she's you know they've been they've been captured and you know at the beginning of the season and yada yada and then they find out that uh Kerrigan's still alive and so you see her afraid and broken and then her and David try to run off and she gets caught by Kerrigan and he sends his shadow monsters and attacks her and you know, cuts up her face and everything. And so you can tell she's embarrassed and ashamed and yada, yada. But then yeah. David's there to still love her. And then they talk about gemstones and how she's a ruby and she's stronger than an emerald. And, uh, and- <laughs> I know, I know. They were really setting you up for <laughs> sadness there, weren't they? Uh, what I liked that they did in the show, though, um, was at least in terms of Jenya directly, they didn't take away from her confrontation Mm-hmm. of you know how her self-worth is is derived um they didn't shy away from the uh, sexual assault stuff with the king mm-hmm. and how despicable it was of kirigan to put her in that position mm-hmm. um which i wasn't sure if they were going to do that justice or not um and from kirigan's side the creation of the the shadow monsters whose name i cannot pronounce um different from the books um, but not in a way that I was upset with. Okay. What I really enjoyed from what they did was like how they showed that they were powerful and they were always with him and they protected him, but he wasn't in his control as much control as he thought he was. Mm-hmm. That is not the impression you get in the books. Really? 
No, he's an evil son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, this, again, gave him a little less evilness, a little less creepiness, and a little more... Like, you could feel more compassion for him. Mm-hmm. And the show did a really good job of walking that line. So, you know, you're very clear. He's the bad guy and there ain't any changing that. But you kind of feel bad for him because that's what he was shaped to be. And he doesn't know how to be anything else. Mm-hmm. And he's not, a, he's, you know, he's powerful, but he has no idea what he's doing at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Even and after like all Alina. this time being alive. Yeah. Um, except <laughs> Alina's like 17 and he's like 17,000. I don't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Girls when... mature faster than boys. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> to no the shit. extreme. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, with, um. oh, yeah, and then, like, with the with the death of the Darkling and after he's been stabbed and he's still giving, like, a big, long speech to Alina, he does the classic dying dry cough, which always cracks me the fuck up. It's like I think you're... that's supposed to be, like, agony breathing or something, but <laughs> why do they do that? I don't know, but it... <laughs> I can't take it seriously anymore. And I don't know. At one point I was you know, <laughs> watching the Arrowverse and the character's uh. dying and he <laughs> does dry cough a couple of times and it took me right out and I couldn't stop. La- and like, it's a CW show. So lots of things can take you out of the moment. It's fine. Uh huh. Yeah. But that one, I just, I can't, there's no going back. Right. So any show, any movie, if someone's dying, I am waiting for the dry cough. <laughs> but that's like the free space on the bingo card at this yes, point. Yes, absolutely. So with um, yeah, with Jenya, I'm glad they didn't shy away from the sexual assault stuff. And I thought they did a really good job handling it and and not shying away from it, but also not being unnecessarily uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, they're just, they didn't need to go like over the top with the discussions or the descriptions. No, nor in people's reactions to it. Yes. I think, I think it was handled very well. Mm -hmm. And I like all the dynamics. And I like that, um, pirate prince, pretty boy, you know, he's team believe all women. And, and I and I like that that there wasn't a lot of time spent dwelling on that bullshit and everything. And then my favorite moment for Jenya this season is when she's confronted by the queen, you know. And she, this is after she's already told Nicola the whole story and everything. And the way Jenya is like this is like her moment of like getting her confidence back and kind of standing up for herself and what is right. And telling the queen, she's like, ask me how I did it. Just ask me. Fucking ask me. I dare you. Yeah. <laughs> and and the way that, you know, she she's like, I put the poison on my body. All he had to do was stop coming to my room. I was like, yeah. damn. So all he I, had to do was stop touching me. Yep. And and I absolutely loved that. I loved the way she killed the king. I loved the way she stood up to the queen and was like, <clears throat> fuck you fuck your dead husband <laughs> fuck yeah, them all she, she's a badass yeah and i i was very happy for her in that moment and then we kind of see her i mean aside from the david stuff i mean by the end of the season you know she's she's team alina and zoya and the three of them are gonna work to rebuild ravka and i was like i was very very happy to see that for her 
finally a moment where I'm not ugly crying for her because when Jenya finds the design of the ring and David's cool <laughs> Yeah, that was terrible. Um for me too. <laughs> I uh I'm like, please, he can't be really dead. And I felt like that was the show, like, trying to confirm that he was dead. I'm like, no, I, I will not accept this. He's just that cute little introverted character. And, you know, he does have a hand in the future of the Grisha. And I'm like, you can't take that from him. He's David. Like, he deserves this. Come on. And he actually, in the books, he does more to help Alina and them as covertly as possible than you know, helping Kirigan. So I feel like his character took a few hits anyway for the sake of TV plotline. Sure. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Zoya is still very much Zoya. Um, I I have no issues with her character or the character's development or choices. Yeah. Uh, I like, so- I don't remember, two- I don't remember how I felt about her last season, but I really liked her this season. Yep, and I think you're meant to by the time all you know everything plays out, because she's actually a decent person, and you know, um, uh, she she got sold her own false promises from the Darkling mm-hmm. back in the day too, so she had to deal with that. Um, and I loved when in that the one moment where she joins the Crows, and she's like, "I'm not a thief, I'm a soldier." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And they're I not supposed to have that. interacted at all because their storylines are different. So, yeah. I, but how they used her, where they intersected, was was great. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I just have so many quibbles with how they're doing things with Lena and that core group. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. Maybe Mal will have fun as a pirate. I don't know. He wasn't supposed to do that. Nikolai, again, very faithful to him as a character from the books. I love him. Mm-hmm. I, I do in the books as well. I hope that he doesn't get ruined in the books in the, the more recent series. Because, uh, you know, that's one of my fears. It's like, oh, no, I've gotten too attached to this character. I don't know oh, how that's yeah. going to go. Because yeah. um, he's like the one thing about that just insidious royal family that turned out okay. And he's really clever. And he invents stuff. And he's a little mad scientist. And I love it. Like, And then in the series, he's a bastard. Yes, it's implied in the books as well that okay. he is one, but it's not proven. And, okay. you know, as far as everything on paper, he's officially a member of that family and therefore right. in line for the throne and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But so, his illegitimacy could come into play and all that kind sure, of thing. Because sure. in the series, it seems like, you know, there's always the whispers and the rumors and, and even from his like older brother or whatever. Yeah. And it's it's kind of interesting to get... You know, because that conversation he has with Alina, you know, he's like, you know, my mom isn't, she she doesn't hate its commoners as much as you might think. Otherwise, right. I wouldn't be here. So he's aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fascinating, too, that like, not only was it the queen that cheated uh, and had the bastard, but that it was with a commoner because the little bit you, we see of her, you just get that sense that like, that's just not her jam, but maybe yeah. who knows whatever her reasons might've been. But I love that in the show he's accepted and he is in line, you know, like mm-hmm. no, well, some questions about it, but they're still moving but not from anybody important enough. Yeah. Um, and then, 
yeah, with uh with Nicola and kind of towards the end and they get to wherever the hell and they're getting ready for the big the big fight, the big battle, which yeah. again was awesome. The fight sequences I, I absolutely loved. And you kind of forget that this show can be a bit on the gory side. Yeah. Until these battles and bitches are losing fingers and everything. Yep. <laughs> and people are coughing up blood and there. Oh man. I was like, shit, this is neat. I like it. Yeah. Um, but when they, but after Nikolai and, and they land and everything and he's reunited with his bestie, which for a hot second, I was like, mm, are we sure it's quote besties? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Because he was real, real sad when dude died. Anyway, but he he gives his big impassioned captain speech and, you know, we're we're unified and, you know, Grisha and and muggles together. And so then who were the first ones to go up and introduce themselves to the muggles was Jenya and David. I know. I I love love that. They're the best. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I, um, yeah, the other moment with Jenya. Uh, that also broke my heart was when they do find everyone underground and David's like, how did you find us? We were so far underground. And she's like, well, Bagra is an amplifier and she amplified me. And so I could seek out a familiar heartbeat and it was his. Yeah. It's like, Oh, oh so sweet. <laughs> I um, love those two. So David is just fine. He, he is better alive. Be. And he's just making his way back upwards. I don't fucking know. But he better be. He better be, goddammit. But then when Pirate Prince Pretty Boy, you know, they they do the classic fake marriage, you know, with Alina to unite yeah. and yada yada. But then in the kind of final moments, they're trying to go against one of Kerrigan's shadow monsters, and the shadow monster pierces uh Nicola in the in the shoulder. You know, and he lives and he's fine, except now we see it spreading. Yeah, that's fuck? that's a new thing too. And okay. So I don't know how that's gonna play out. Um and again, I haven't read the series that continues for him. So maybe there's something like that in there and I just okay. didn't know about it. But if if we're just talking about Alina's arc and the Six of Crows arc, there's nothing about it. So okay. I don't know how that's going to play out either, but it made me really sad and like mm-hmm. a little annoyed mm-hmm. at the same time. Why are you going and corrupting like the one decent royal family member ever? <laughs> like, Well, and then, and, and not just that, but we see, you know, he's been infected, you know, his shadow is it or not a shadow. His reflection is a shadow monster. And as he sees it, at least as he sees it. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so are you, and then we see Alina uh, wielding the Murzoff and the cut and everything and black smoky fingers. So it's like, okay, is she going to be a new Darkling and he's going to be, he's going to be her slave or something kind of thing. And it's like, it almost feels lazy in the sense Mm -hmm. that we have these two main players, at least for this season, kind of at least ending about the same route. Right. And this, this is my problem. They lost they lost their way from the source material to a degree that is unrecoverable. So they are creating a new story from here on out mm-hmm. and they can either do that well, or they're going to fall on their face. Or and they're considering, gonna, they're considering the it. clumsiness of, of, of 
every point where they did that in in season two, I have concerns. Yeah. Yeah, I really wish these seasons could be, you know, two to four episodes longer. They needed to be. I felt like, I even felt like the search for the amplifiers, the sea whip. Was rushed? Was rushed. So fucking rushed. It was. It's like season one is all about the deer, this mysterious magical deer and why everyone's hunting it and yada, yada, yada. And Mal finds it, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's like a good chunk of the season. Mm -hmm. And then this season, it's like, oh, we need the sea whip. Oh, now we need the firebird. Oh, oh, we know where it's at. It's fine. Like the sea whip, like it, it was not supposed to be so easy to get to. Um, yeah, I, it felt it. It just yeah felt too easy, too rushed. Mm-hmm. And there was like how that played out in the books was different too. Like the darkling was actually more involved. Um, oh. on, you know, and you get more of the dynamic between him and Mal and and Alina and all that and Janya too. And like it's just. Uh, I don't know. They took away from that, and for what really? Yeah, I I don't know. And then they didn't even go after the Firebird. <laughs> God. Yeah. So those those were definitely. I mean, I did enjoy. I still enjoyed the season, but I feel like we just spent all this time shitting on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it had enjoyable moments for sure. Absolutely enjoyable moments, but like, I feel like there's just too much going on really love everything and then especially for you being familiar with the books and seeing these departures from the source material I mean that's always going to happen from page to screen yeah but the way you're describing these changes like you said some of these seem unrecoverable so it's a whole new branch a whole new timeline kind of thing Mm -hmm. for these characters and as someone who hasn't read the books, even though I said I was going to read the books and I still haven't read the books, it makes me a little nervous for season three, whenever that may be, eh, that rhymes, <laughs> and what is going to happen and are are they even going, like, what from the source material will they even include if we've departed too far? Yeah, I'm I'm legit nervous about it and it doesn't even have anything to do with the writer's strike um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, like, but you know, uh, Kirigan still had some pretty awesome one-liners, and there were oh. some interesting conversations between him and Alina, and I liked that mm-hmm. very much. Um, yeah. I am going to miss his presence. Yeah, me in too. the third season. Um, I, I mean, I was, I was it, bummed that he died, but I mean, it like kind of had to happen. Yeah. <laughs> But I was more mourning villain Ben Barnes than <laughs> than Kirigan. Yeah, let's see. Let's focus on a few positives, all right? Because, mm-hmm. okay, so I loved the, all the title cards for each episode, mappy ones. Like, it, I don't remember that really being a thing in season one. Maybe it was, but... I don't recall that either. I feel like it really stood out this season. Yeah. Um, they were wonderfully done. A lot of fun. Um, I loved the girl power this season. Team Alina, mm-hmm. as misguided as Alina was, I loved seeing these women in power, taking control, not being afraid, reclaiming their confidence. Some of them always being confident, Nina and Zoya. So I, I loved seeing that. The the shoe twins, Tolia and his the, poetry. The wonder twins. The wonder twins. Oh. Him no, and the his airbenders. Poetry. The That's... airbenders are the are the wonder twins. Him and his poetry was was a new thing. 
Um, and I thought it was like, I thought it worked for him as a quirk. You quickly become attached to them too in the books. So I don't want to do a, a disservice by not really talking about them yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you do get to learn a lot more about the shoe dynamic in the world mm-hmm. and their culture and their approach to magic and what they do to people who wield it and things like that and how they use them. But it's also, you know, uh, somewhat relevant in the fact that Alina is supposed to be half shoe. Mm-hmm. So it's like acknowledging all sides of Alina's ancestry, mm-hmm. um, not just the fact that she's a Rafkin, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if they bridged to that as well as they could have or not. not um, I didn't feel that, but I feel like maybe that's what season three is going to be set up for since she's heading to shoe to return the blade to the shoe saint. Yeah. And the the blade thing is new too, so that was really yep. But the, what isn't new is that there is brewing conflict with the the Fjordans, um, mm-hmm. Matthias's people, yep. and Ravka, and there is like always ongoing tension and possibility of conflict between Ravkins and and the Shu, um, and it is not shied away from that that is racially motivated to Mm -hmm. some extent Um, but it also has to do with how they treat Grisha and what their priorities are and everything like that Um, with the uh, with Matthias's people um, it's more religiously based right and the fear and the fear that comes from from them about Ravkins embracing magic the way that they do Mm -hmm. especially with the fold being a, a extreme example of how it can go wrong yeah. You know, and if they are doing the heist that I think they are doing, we will get to see more of of what is going on with their culture. I don't know okay. if they are doing it because they, unfortunately, they did show pieces of like that setting in the storyline, but they didn't do that heist. So I'm just, I'm just not sure anymore. So the heist, ha- so the heist that you're referring to has to end up having happening in season three because if alina is on her way there i i imagine the crows will somehow end up there you know with whatever big yeah. heist that uh kaz is you know most lucrative heist uh they've ever had and then because then at the end we see that you know since inej and kaz can't come to uh <laughs> an agreement of whether or not they're ready to kind of pursue a relationship she goes, she goes, she hops on the, the airship. And I love mm-hmm. that. I love the airship and the mini airship. Oh my God. So fun. Yes. But then because she helped save everybody from the poison by uh through through Jesper, or not Jesper, through Wyland by shoving butterflies down everyone's gullets. Yeah. <laughs> Poor butterflies. Sorry, I loved that so much. Um, you see right away that Tolia is very, very appreciative and he's got a little bit of googly eyes towards Inej. So at the end, when she boards the ship, he's really kind of like, hmm. And even she has a moment of maybe I'm into poetry. I don't know. We're sweet. Yeah, I don't know. For the reasons (laughs) I already described, I am not a fan of that. But, you know, they're doing their own thing now. Mm -hmm. Um, But with the... The Grisha that ended up being on the other end of Alina's cut, mm-hmm. 
that is setting the stage for the heist that happens in the books, unless they're oh. just going completely off the rails. Because the the whole point um, is finding the scientist who created the drug that made that person so unhinged but amazingly powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's there's a lot that goes on with that drug that... Um, you know, I find interesting in, in how they approach it. So it could be excellent subject matter still. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I just hope they do it justice considering they kind of made some interesting creative choices so far. <laughs> like I said, the first season diverged from the books as well, mm-hmm. especially in mashing it all together mm-hmm. like they did. But they did it in a way that wasn't harmful. I cannot say the same for the second season, but... I have some seeds of hope okay. for the third. Well, let's let's hope so. Everything. Let's hope they haven't fucked anything up too much. Um, oh, and then the airbending wonder twins, Edric and, and Nadia. Nadia is the one that's in a relationship with Tamar. So we have a nice, happy little lesbian couple. Yeah. And just adorable. Uh, a little bit more of them next time, please. And thank you. Um, but because Nadia and Adric both at one point lose function of an arm. <laughs> and so in order for them to do their airbending, <laughs> it is, they wonder twin it. You cannot I know. tell me differently. I, I loved it. I mean, and they're not twins, but close enough. <laughs> close enough. <laughs> Cause when they did that the very first time when I was watching it, I lost my shit. I was like, that was a nice moment yeah that was a nice moment but it was cool and you know what and i will i do like seeing that in this show at least with the characters we've been given so far there's no unnecessary sibling conflicts to no. get in the way i mean that would make everything so much messier if there was but <laughs> you know uh, the shoe twins they have a connection they've got their little like necklaces or something that glows when the other ones I don't under- fully understand but I don't understand that either but we'll see we'll see you know because like towards the end uh, Tamar sees her necklace and I don't know if it was like a lotus and it opened or something but she smiled and she kind of got that oh my brother's nearby he's on his way kind of thing yeah you know? I did and- like how they managed that that was pretty cool you know, so I love I loved seeing their relationship. They're both gorgeous human beings, both actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then, yeah, with Adric and, and Nadia, clearly supportive, a little bit of like sibling, like, haha. She's like, well, don't worry if you're not that great. You can take credit for my work. It's fine. I won't tell anyone, you know, <laughs> yeah. just all in good fun kind of thing. And and I don't know why, but I really just enjoy the the more positive sibling dynamics. <laughs> I did too. You know, they at least shied away from some tropes. Yeah. Um, so I'll give them credit for that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm always happy to see more twins in shows. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know August was a uh, national twins month and there's like a twins day and there's a twin festival in Ohio. Is the twins day the 22nd? Because that'd be hilarious. <laughs> God, I hope so. I don't remember, but I did my uh, my book. One of my book displays last month was celebrating twins day or twins month or whatever. Um, huh. So pulling books featuring twins. 
How sweet. My brother and I were born in Twins Month. Yeah. Oh, my God. I wonder <laughs> if that's like, if twins just happen to be born, that's not a thing. No, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think we did it. I think we touched on everyone and we'll go ahead and do our stray bubbles. So this is the last chance to bring up any fun facts, notes, or points, anything left hanging out there that you need to not leave hanging out there. Um, No, you know what? I don't think so for once. All right. Very cool. So the only thing that I have is I pulled from IMDb. (laughs) Uh, David J. Peterson, an American language creator known for Game of Thrones, Valerian and Dothraki languages, is behind the Grisha versus fictional languages. Uh, He previously helped Lee uh, Bardugo with the languages in the books as well. That's cool. We kind of start this episode pooping on game of thrones and we're gonna end it on a slightly more positive poop on game of thrones now (laughs) (laughs) all right and on to the midwest goodbye so (laughs) we'll start with the six degrees of nicholas cage for season two shadow and bone and how did you do did you figure one out or not I got a zero on my test. Aww. <laughs> Next time. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I I was not creative enough to remember like who or who we did before and who was new this season that, or anything. So I I can't find anything worthwhile. <laughs> I hope Jen found something. Fingers crossed. Here we I, are. I did. So I went with because I couldn't remember who I used last time. I assumed Ben Barnes. Um, so this season, I went with Louis Tan, who plays Tolia, boy twin. Uh, he was in Deadpool 2 with Josh Brolin, who was Jonah Hex in Jonah Hex. Uh, and also in that movie was Michael Shannon, who was in Port of Call, New Orleans with Nicolas Cage. Now, also from Jonah Hex was Mr. John Malkovich, who, of course, was in Con Air, and I got it right this time because a couple of times I have confused Con Air and Face Off, and I feel horrible about it. So you're forgiven. That was pretty good. That's actually like two, isn't it? It's like one and a half. <laughs> well, I'm rounding up. Okay, yay! <laughs> so you got an extra one for me. Yay! Yay! All right, and on to the last little bit, and that's what's been streaming in your bubble so laura what have you been watching if nothing then let us know if there's been a game you've been playing a book or podcast or anything you've been into lately well our tv time has been greatly reduced due to summer being here but um still managed to stay up some late nights and watch all of black mirror (gasps) um like all of it all of it like, like well the one, most or... recent season okay. but like you know um i love that show i wow did i have some thoughts about that season um yeah but anyway um finally got around to watching harley quinn's latest season enjoying bane as always as always <laughs> i love bane <laughs> <laughs> um maker so that's been good. And Nora uh, Freeze has been just cracking me the fuck up too. She's so. been a surprise, um, <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. Uh, 
let's see. Um, watch the most recent season of um, The Dragon Prince. Oh, that's right. When that came out, I like dropped everything. Gotta watch this. <laughs> I, I love it more than Avatar The Last Airbender, and that's saying something. Wow. That is that show that is, is just I don't know, it really it really has its hooks in me for sure. It's really beautifully done. It is. And I know I know we watched the first season. I don't I the kids might not know that there's a that the new season's out, so we might have to watch it. But... They've got five now. Oh shit. You got some catching up to do. Yeah, <laughs> apparently. So Um, but mostly uh I've been playing Baldur's Gate three. Nice. It's surprisingly fun. Um, I have done some creative things that probably aren't the best in terms of like getting the best loot in the game. But you know what's really fun to me? Like, if I was to describe myself as a D&D player, because that's basically what this game is, um, I really like to sneak up on enemies and push them into pits. <laughs> I love that! <laughs> It's really uh, satisfying to watch. <laughs> oh, I love you, Laura. That's the best. <laughs> it's also equally entertaining because this is based on your dice roll. So you can fail. When you fail, they get really mad and then like the whole room attacks you. <laughs> it's, it's super hilarious. <laughs> I'm like, this is worth it. <laughs> Push. <laughs> <laughs> I have died sometimes. <laughs> Just put it that way, but <laughs> worth it. <laughs> worth it. Nice. That's awesome. What about oh, you? Well, let's see. We've been staying current on season three of Only Murders in the Building. I absolutely fucking love that show. Oh, I gotta watch that. Oh my god. I so it's it's so much fun because like we'll watch, we'll finish watching the latest episode. And then we sit there and we're like kind of dissecting all the clues that we've been given because this show is like the perfect kind of like murder mystery whodunit and also feels very like viewer engaging. Like mm -hmm. we're trying to figure it out along with the characters. Yeah. And, and I know that there's lots of shows and movies that are very similar in that sense where you're kind of going along and trying to figure out who done did it. But there's something that feels so much more personable personable and and i don't know maybe that's because like we like timmy and i we love steve martin martin short like they are two i mean of how our, can you not they are two of our favorite old white guys and <laughs> like i will ugly cry when those days come yeah um, i know and i worry about it every time celebrity death news oh my up. god Absolutely. celebrity hamburger time news uh we watched the death clock movie recently that's the other thing and <laughs> that caused a rewatch of some death clock episodes and there's an episode where they don't want to hear the word death anymore because they're like worried about their mortality for a bit and they force their manager to call it hamburger time and <laughs> And Aaron's been listening to Death Clock albums in the car, and every time they say death or die in a song, I'll change it to hamburger time, and it's <laughs> really a mouthful. It doesn't really work. <laughs> um, but you bring up only murders in the building, and that reminds me, Felix has been watching um, YouTube videos lately, and um, then that led him to watching Dragon Ball on Hulu, and Hulu has ads still, and they did an ad for only murders in the building, and I guess... 
he came out to me and he's like, remember that show that you watched where they were trying to figure out the mystery of who died in in the building they lived in? Yeah, they have another season. You should watch it. Oh, my like, God. Aw. Oh, my God. He's the sweetest. He really can be sometimes. <laughs> Solve the murder death in the building. <laughs> in the building they lived in? In the building they lived in. I love that. Oh, my God. He's too stinking adorable. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been watching that. We did start. We did watch the first episode of Good Omens, second season. So that's I'm another kinda, one on my list. You know, we need to kind of dive right into that. Um, also staying current on the Harley Quinn animated series. And as a forever comfort rewatch are my Letterkenny and Shorzy series. Because Shorzy season two will be available in the United States at the end, towards the end of October. So I'm like, I need to rewatch those six episodes as many times as I can. <laughs> and that's Got a lot. Got to prep. Got to prep. So, um, and, and so, yeah, that's, that's good enough. <laughs> I don't need, and once upon a time, as I said earlier, but mm-hmm. that's always kind of in the background. It's funny too, because like the oldest will has gotten a wee bit invested in it. So he has seen part of like, I think that was like season two or three with the Peter Pan that hap- that whole storyline happened so much sooner than I remembered. But then when I'm trying to explain who these characters are and how they're intertwined with each other and how they're related to each other, I realize how absolutely bonkers that all sounds. <laughs> it does. It's like a full on soap opera tree going on. And I'm just like someone explained it to me years ago. Yeah. And I was like, are you just watching Bold and the Beautiful? <laughs> But I love that show. It's it is what it is. But I've always loved like the costuming, the costumes for like the the fairy fairy tale world bits. They were beautiful costumes. Well, I've also heard that Captain Hook is quite hot. So oh, he is. That. And I've got he's he's back there on the wall because I met him. Uh, my friend nice. Meg and I. She we went to a uh, once upon a time con before the world shut down. So we met Captain Hook, who was very, very handsome, and I could not speak. <laughs> I'm an adult, I promise. Um, we also <laughs> met <laughs> the actress that plays the evil queen. So she's up there as well. And then oh, I nice. did get a picture with Bex Mater, who played uh, the Wicked Witch in the series. And she's also, there's a lot of actors that were on Lost, because it's like the same creators. Okay. Um, so I'm... Um, yeah, so Bex made her. She was also in law. So I met her as well and got a photo that I still haven't hung up or anything. But uh, that awesome. was a lot of fun. Yeah. So, yes, Captain Hook is still very handsome. <laughs> well, all right. Yeah, I think that's enough. So we'll go ahead and say goodbye. Goodbye. Uh- goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you, as always, Laura, for joining me today for our Shadow and Bone. We didn't make any boner jokes. Look at us. Talk we about are growth. adults. We are for adults. Real. <laughs> How long has that taken? <laughs> I think we just had too much stuff to to vent about. We didn't have time. You know what? For I think there jokes. was just so much sexual tension in the season that it didn't feel right to add to it. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, 
thank you to all my lovely bubblies for listening today. And don't forget, damn the man, support the strike. You're Bye. here. Bye. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to let me know by rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcast fix. Follow me on Twitter at Streaming Bubble. Find me on Facebook and Instagram as My Streaming Bubble. Have thoughts, suggestions, questions, or want to be tolerated? Email me at mystreamingbubble at gmail.com. If you want to show your love and support for this little old podcast in monetary form, search My Streaming Bubble over at buymeacoffee.com and buy me a cheese wedge. And if you want to take that love and support to the next level, head over to Redbubble where you can find and purchase My Streaming Bubble merch. All monetary support goes right back into this podcast from new recording equipment to night cheese. Thanks for your support and keep streaming.